When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. Today we welcome back a great friend of the show, automotive journalist Ken Bocor. Over the past few years, Ken has really established himself as one of the better informed commentators on the Canadian electric vehicle marketplace. He filters much of his reporting through a consumer lens, and his YouTube show, The EV Revolution Show, is required viewing for those interested in taking the leap into the electric vehicle segment. Too many EV proponents, and make no mistake, Ken is one of them, tend to sugarcoat many of the real issues that face electric vehicle adoption in Canada. Not Ken. He's fair-minded and honest, which is why we always welcome him on Plugged In. Thanks very much for joining us today, Ken. Thank you for having me. It's uh, nice to be back and congrats on your new slash season slash continuing podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And thank you. And congrats to your, I believe, next month is five years for the EV Revolution show on YouTube. So congratulations for that. Thank you. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, so let's just jump in right now. Uh, we've had you on the show before. So my usual question you've already answered, which is the first EV you ever drove you did answer that question before so i'm going to ask you what's the latest one you've driven and um your impressions of that vehicle yeah there's actually a couple that i wanted to mention um haven't had a lot of seat time over the last few months on many vehicles but two of them do stand out one was the f-150 lightning from ford um, i only had it for a few hours just to do a quick first look at it um, but I was very impressed with um, how well that vehicle handled, how quiet it was for the size being a pickup truck. I'm not a pickup truck person, so, um, you know, I, I didn't really know what to look for. But just the, the capability uh, of that truck and, and really how easy it is to drive. I was quite impressed with that. I am seeing um, the F-150 Lightning on the road around me here in Vancouver. And um, how about in Toronto? Have you seen a few? Yes, I've seen a few now, actually, more than uh, in the last three weeks. I've seen more than I have in the last three months. And I, I think I've seen some work ones. CAA, I believe, is running some of them here in Ontario. Oh, as service vehicles. Mm-hmm. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. That, uh, that's a good user case for that, that uh, truck for sure. Absolutely. And I was going to add the BMW i7 to the mix because I couldn't really not talk about fantastic all-electric vehicles without mentioning the new i7. It's just as nice as the internal combustion version, if not even better, because it's all-electric, has some really cool stuff. It's just such a gorgeous car and pleasant car to drive. It's comfortable, 500-kilometer ranges. BMW continues to do great work on their electrification strategy. An interesting vehicle to juxtapossess against a pickup, as those are very different vehicles, (laughs) a a luxury sedan and a pickup truck. But I guess Mm -hmm. um, that kind of underscores where the EV revolution is today. We have uh, not just the one segment anymore. We have the cross-section of sections. Yeah, you know. 
Uh, absolutely correct. Great observation, Andrew. I think we've got representation now in pretty well every segment of uh, the automotive light duty vehicle class, you know, from the subcompact up to the full size, to the luxury, of course, to pickup trucks, tons of SUVs. So I think the coverages are even E-Vans that are starting to come out now as well. Um, I mean, we've had the plug-in hybrid from Chrysler for quite some time. So really, it really is a great time for uh, consumers to start looking at EVs, especially all electrics, because there's so much more choice now than there was when I started this five years ago. A great segue to my next question, which is uh, you've made the somewhat bold prediction that 2023, the year we are currently in, is the year of the EV, my capitals. Why do you believe that? Yeah, you know, um, I think because, I mean, there's all kinds of tipping points. And I know that you've asked various um, people on your shows as well what their viewpoints are on EV tipping points, whether it's a bulk of sales or some other some other market uh, change or shift. Uh, I believe that for, for really the main reason it comes into the U.S., um, you know, Canada follows the United States. We're joined at the hip from a market perspective, especially the automotive market. And this uh, this past year, the U.S. market hit over 5% of EV adoption. Does not sound like a lot, but it's actually a very tangible number. And most analysts will, will agree that that tends to be a tipping point in the automotive landscape. If you look at somebody like Hyundai, great manufacturer, lots of great vehicles, they own about 5% of the U.S. market share. So not, again, we wouldn't say that they're not a normal vehicle, that they're an obscure vendor. They're very much ingrained in every day. People see Hyundai vehicles all the time. So I think now what we've seen over the last year or so is much more of a normalization of electric vehicles. You know, you can't go to work without probably seeing eight or nine Teslas on your way to work. They're just all over the place. And that in combination with the additional markets that have opened up, like the pickup truck market, like some of those type of vehicles, I, I really think that we're now into the year of the EV where the awareness is there. It seems like the desire and the demand are there. We just need to get OEMs to build more vehicles to capitalize on that. Um, we'll talk about that a little later. Um, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, your YouTube channel is called the EV Revolution Show. So um, as I also mentioned, you've been doing it for half a decade now. So you have a great perspective on, on where you started and, and kind of, you know, the, the, the topics you covered then compared to now. At what point do you think we are in this revolution? I mean, is it still, are we still at, you know, the, if you want to take it by a year, are we still in February of the, of the full year or are we in the summer of the year? I mean, how do you see that? Yeah, great question. I would say we're probably in the early spring of that year, if we can use that analogy. We're definitely past the early adopter stage or the initial part of that S curve where we've kind of gone down and now we're starting that secondary ramp up because again, EVs have now been more normalized. People are, are accepting them as, as everything, you know, as everyday culture items. They're not that far out anymore like they used to be. So now it's just a matter of supply and demand catching up and meeting each other at a good point where both can be satisfied. So I think that we're, we're going to see a good uptake this year in overall sales. I mean, in Canada, we are up, I think, 8.9%. Definitely uh, EV sales, plug-in sales outperformed internal combustion sales percentage-wise because internal combustion market was down about 7 to 8% and EVs were up. So it shows you that people are now turning, even, even in times of reset, potential recession, inflation, when money you know, starts really hitting the pocketbook, people are realizing that all electrics can be beneficially, very beneficial financially and are starting to look at that. So I would say we're probably in the early spring phase. Okay, good, good answer. 
So if we go back to you being a rookie YouTuber five years ago, um, mm -hmm. and um, maybe you looking into a crystal ball and thinking five years ahead to today, are we where you would expect us to have been five years ago? I mean, when, in terms of, as you said, the volumes of vehicles, the, the number of vehicles, do you think we should have, would, would you have said, oh, no, there'll be many more? Or are you surprised maybe at how the EV revolution has kind of progressed? Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd have to go back and look at my early episodes to see what my predictions were. But I would think we're a little behind where I was hoping that we would be in five years. Um, and I think part of that is due to the, the lateness of actions of some of the, oh, the main OEMs. You know, GM's made announcements for quite some time. They started making all electric announcements when I started my, my, my shows. Um, and, and it's great to make announcements, but you've got to put action. And I know there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the background with funding new plants and retooling and retraining and building supply chains. And, and just that cycle of building a vehicle is, you know, five, six years. So I know that that time needs to click, but I think they could have done things a little quicker. Um, and I believe that most of the other major OEMs are a little slow getting out of the gate, too. Reason is internal combustion vehicles sell. They're high profit margins for them. And they need to sell those to continue to fund their electrification efforts. So, you know, I, I was hoping that we'd be a little ahead of where we are uh, market wise and uh, you know, deployment wise. But we're not that far off. And obviously, nobody could have predicted COVID. Nobody could have predicted wars and all these other aspects that are hindering technology supply chains yeah i i agree i think if i if someone would have asked me five years ago i would have said the same thing i think part of that is simply a function of all the oems five years ago started making these predictions of how many vehicles they're going to have and how many are coming down the pike and as you and i know and we've talked about on many times um it just seems forever. I mean, the Nissan Aria is a great example, right? I mean, we've been hearing about that car for six or seven years until it actually came here. Um, and our expectation was when we heard about it, it would be two years away. So um, it's it's like a, a wave breaking almost. You can see it in the distance, but it just seems to take forever to get here. I agree, 100%. Yeah. So one thing I really love about your uh, your EV Revolution show is, is the feedback viewers provide to you. Um, extremely knowledgeable people seem to listen to you, which I think is a credit to the, the quality of, of the information you provide to people. Um, looking over that five-year period, are the questions different now? Are the, are, they, are the comments, have they changed over time? Or do, are you still, do you find yourself still answering the same question over and over? Uh, they have changed. There are some questions that continue to be repetitive. Uh, I, I think you and I can both agree that the range anxiety question is kind of less popular now than it was three, four, or five years ago. I, I think the impression that most consumers have are that uh, the mainstream AVs today are much more capable than they were in the past. So, you know, and most of the OEMs are good at advertising that, you know, 300 miles, uh, 20 to, you know, uh, 20 minutes for 18 to 30% or 80% uh, charging, this kind of stuff. So they're pretty good at setting those examples to consumers. So I don't get the range anxiety question much anymore. Now it's more kind of focused in on, okay, how can an EV really work for me? This is my driving needs. I do X, uh, I drive to Y, I need this, I need this kind of vehicle. And it's a little bit more about uh, getting more detailed about product positioning versus general you know, knowledge about the EV landscape. I mean, there's still people that don't understand that, you know, uh, that rain and stuff 
they don't impact EVs. You know, you can still drive, you can still drive with your car wash and things like that. Um, and, you know, the, the home charging questions come up and, and that kind of stuff. So it's much more about configuring and answering specific details to consumers than some of the more broader questions we used to hear. Would you say, uh, I mean, a percentage, like a percentage breakdown of people that watch your show, I mean, are they owners or are they, are they would-be owners? It's a good question. I don't have a lot of metrics about that. One thing YouTube does, it doesn't really provide you a lot of analytics about geographies and age groups and things like that, but not a lot about any other data. I would have to do a poll, but I would say a good, a good number of the people that watch my show are EV owners. But I do get comments and I get emails and then sometimes I get people reach out to me and I talk to them live and guide them in their EV journey and give them some of the options or help them answer some questions that they have. Um, I've had one guy that was talking to me for a year and finally made a decision. He, he had two EVs on order, and whichever first one came in, he took. So I continued to do that. Um, so I would say the audience is a good mix, probably the majority of EV owners, but there's still a lot that are investigating and, and spending time researching the environment, wanting to know exactly more, you know, how it could help them. Okay, great, Ken. We're just going to take a short break here, and we'll be right back. And we're back with Ken Bocor, the host of EV Revolution Show. So I want to kind of step back and, and look at the big picture of EVs. I think journalists like you and I can sometimes get lost because there's such new product coming at us all the time. And we love to find out about battery sizes and efficiencies and everything. And I think for people that are, the majority of people are still thinking about an EV we need to remind them of the benefits of an EV. And um, you can certainly speak to that because that is something that obviously drew you into creating this channel. You obviously saw benefits to this, this revolution. So just remind us, I mean, why should someone consider an electric vehicle? There are certainly many benefits to EVs. And I do get asked this a lot. And uh, these are ranked really maybe in, in no particular order because everybody's importance is going to be different but certainly first and foremost is hey they have zero emissions right when you're driving when you're utilizing an all-electric vehicle in your daily use uh, there's nothing there's no tailpipe and there's no harmful gases to come out and, and impact climate change so right away that's something that we can do as consumers that can have a fairly significant impact on what we what, you know in helping the environment in that aspect so that's kind of the major benefit. And that's the reason I initially got my first EV and Nissan Leaf is because I just didn't want to contribute to that, to uh, harmful emissions. Second of all, then, is obviously the financial pitch. You know, I mentioned earlier about times are tougher and people are looking at financial pictures. There's a great total cost of ownership for all electric vehicles. They're much cheaper to operate. Yes, they can be more expensive upfront to purchase than a comparable uh, internal combustion vehicle. We are continuing to see that gap close year over year. We're not at cost parity yet, but it is coming. But right now, what you can do is do some really good financial calculations and find out that even if I had to pay you know, ten or $15,000 more for an all-electric versus a similar internal combustion, I'm going to make that difference back in fuel and maintenance savings in about three to five years. Those are kind of the, the average stats for that. So it's got a really strong return on the investment. And fuel is, is fuel, by the way, is charging. So and home charging is extremely cheap. I tell people that I can go 400 kilometers on five dollars of home charging. It really is that cheap when you utilize what's out there. And, and people are, are, are just think I'm, I'm absolutely crazy on that. 
So you've got great financial benefits. And by the way, you might have some insurance savings as well. We've seen typically EVs, especially all electrics, some, most of the time come in cheaper on insurance. Again, I can't guarantee that because it's very personalized, but that's out there too. Then, of course, some of the things that you and I talk about, hey, that instant torque, that great low handling because of the low center of gravity, that uh, uh, the, the torque vectoring in all-wheel drive vehicles or multi-motor vehicles that can happen instantaneously uh, affecting the handling. All these things mean that all electrics are great vehicles to drive, even in the, the bad winters that we're getting. And you guys out west are getting a worse winter, I think, than we are here in Ontario. So uh, you know more about that this year than I do. And then another high great benefit is the safety, and that gets overlooked, that that all-electric skateboard platform inherently has characteristics that add to additional safety, increased structural rigidity, large front and rear crumple zones, right? No engine, no gas tank. These things are supposed to crumple in and deflect and absorb energy around occupants in the vehicle. That way, um, you know, I don't get five Gs on my chest in the collision. Maybe I get two Gs worth of force or energy. And that can mean the difference of a serious injury, uh, even a death or a walk away on a serious accident. So there's lots of characteristics about all electrics that, that pr produce quantitative safety um, benefits. And if you look at crash tests and a lot of data, they prove themselves. So, you know, it's, it's a great story for that. And I mentioned charging at home. Again, your home is your gas station. You don't get that with internal combustion vehicles. You can plug in your car overnight like you do your phone or your iPad, wake up in the morning at a full charge or whatever the recommended charge is that you need to get to, and off you go on your merry way. You, it's just a totally different experience that becomes so nice to have every morning. That's a good list of benefits. So just going back, just touch on the, you, you mentioned the fuel cost savings and maintenance. How specific, what do you mean by maintenance savings? Yeah, the maintenance is, is really low because there's uh, only about um, a a fifth, I believe, I have to look at the fractions, but there's, there's not many moving parts in an all-electric vehicle. You have your escape or platform, you have an electric motor or two, or maybe four, depending on the vehicle. You have your brakes, your suspension, and some linkages, and that's about it. Then you get into the body and the vehicle itself. So there's no transmission, there's no oil to change, there's no radiator fluid to change, uh, timing belt, anything like this. There's none of that stuff, no exhaust to fail. Uh, and things to leak. So it, it's very minimal maintenance. Um, if anything, you'll chew through tires a little quicker than you would on a normal vehicle because of the weight of the EVs are typically much heavier. And I mentioned that torque and horsepower, people like to utilize that more than more than probably we will admit to. <laughs> so, you know, tires can tend to wear a little quicker, even EV tires that are optimized for those vehicles. So you'll find that your maintenance is extremely low. I know guys that all they do is put windshield washer fluid in and change their wiper blades. And that's it for the first few years. There's really not much to do. Right, right. And certainly one of the appeals of, of the taxi industry is is going to EVs for that very reason. Okay, so these are all the benefits. Um, as as we are journalists and we are, I, well, I don't know if anyone is unbiased, but we try to be unbiased. There are challenges that remain for the EV sector in Canada and around the world. So um, what what are they? And, and what are the most pressing ones? I mean, what are the ones that, they must be surmountable, but are, are big impediments for a lot of people to, to jump in? Yeah, there there are still definitely challenges in the EV market. I personally believe that the biggest is education. Uh, I think we can overcome a lot of other barriers to EV adoption simply if people are well-educated and well-informed 
about the, the characteristics and all the ins and outs about EV ownership and what they are and how they work. It's really a simple thing. And, and OEMs have not done a good idea of educating them. You know, for example, you might see a Super Bowl commercial and GM talks about, you know, charging uh, uh, 20 minutes, getting you 100 miles or whatever the figure is. That's hard to relate for people. But if I said, if you stop for 20 minutes and we're able to go for another two to three hours of driving, I think we can relate to that a little bit more than just throwing some numbers there. So we really need education to consumers to take away the, all the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that's out there in the marketplace and out in general media, because we know that that fear, uncertainty, and doubt is clickbait for a lot of people, and it does get eyeballs on that stuff. Now, once people are, are convinced that they want an electric vehicle, the other main challenge is, of course, we mentioned the lack of inventory and availability. We're in this bit of a perfect storm where we've created all this pent-up demand, and now we've got people that want it, but we just don't have a lot of inventory yet cooking and coming up the assembly lines because a lot of OEMs are still in the process of wrapping up and they're inking supply chain agreements. We have leftover impacts from COVID and supply chain issues. I think the chip shortages is kind of getting much better now. I don't think that that's a big uh, shortage anymore. So things are moving, but this year is going to be kind of a transition year. And that, that's why I'm not sure what the growth is going to be this year overall, because I think that'll be a main hindrance. And then, um, again, I talked about the, the ROI benefits and the total cost of ownership earlier, but a lot of people still are looking at the sticker price and going, mm, I don't know, I, I'm not, I don't, don't talk to me about this other stuff. I'm just focusing on that sticker price. Um, and then I think the other main one still that I get questions on is external charging infrastructure. And I'm talking more about road tripping infrastructure, doing those longer road trips, having a, a, a broad infrastructure, and also the reliability, it's come under scrutiny now from some of the major providers across Canada and into the U.S. where they don't have, you know, they're having some issues with reliability and they're working on it. And there's things they're doing, but that needs to be ramped up in order to overcome that challenge. Do you, do you see, I mean, it, the inevitability of, of government regulation for the charging industry? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I know that there's lots of incentives, right? You know, governments, we, we've taken a stand federally about being net zero and putting dates and banning internal combustions. I, I don't think we'll eventually ever ban internal combustions, but I'm not an expert. I'm just guessing there. Um, I, certainly, uh, EV charging infrastructure needs to be driven by governments, by legislation, and then the industry as a whole. And there needs to be a business case as more EVs come on the road and as more demand for some of these uh, larger infrastructures, especially DC fast charging infrastructures, because that's where the, the larger money is on being able to road trip. Um, I think those co corporations that are providing those infrastructures are going to start realizing better returns um, as the EV base grows out. But it definitely needs to be help and incentive by the governments, no doubt. Yeah, it seems that the, the private sector is the key to the charging infrastructure, um, just from a reliability standpoint. As you say, if it's a business case, um, you know, if it's in the free market, it will it will work. They will keep those chargers working and clean and ready to go, as opposed to now, anecdotally and personally, I've come across chargers, you know, that that aren't working, that are that are broken. Um, and that can leave you hanging in a big way in an EV. And I think until that really becomes reliable, that's going to be a, a big problem. Absolutely. There are still some points uh, along the driving routes, let's say the Trans Canada, that there might be only one supplier that's on a given route for a while. And if that 
station is down or that element is down, you could be searching for something. And that just really makes it for an unpleasant experience, especially for a new consumer that hurt, you know, hurt, hurt hearing all this good stuff. We talk really nicely about it and then goes and then, you know, uh, calls their dealer back in the wintertime saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm losing 40 percent of my range. You never told me that. What's going on? Is something wrong with the car? You know, these are these are the things that education needs to provide. And those charging infrastructures need to be much more robust and, and, and close those gaps with maybe multiple options for consumers. So you're not having a dependency just on one provider uh, for a choke point type of uh, route. Right. So so that's the challenge is the road tripping. But if you have your own home with a garage and a charger and you're using your EV as an urban car, you're you're that's the gold standard you're you're living the dream because that you're not going to come across any issues it's it's going to be a a wonderful experience absolutely plugging in every night or every other night or whatever whatever the case is for me i've done over 60,000 kilometers now on my 2020 model 3 um, and it's cost me combined charging with some supercharging involved in that but 95% of my charging is done at home um, and maintenance, it's cost me $2,000 to do that $60,000, uh, 60,000 kilometers. So listeners can do their own math to figure out what that would cost them. You and I know, know that if you buy an internal combustion vehicle today, brand new, there's probably not much maintenance you're going to do in the first few years of ownership, typically the first three years anyway. Some of them give you oil changes for free, but even if you have to do that, it's maybe an oil change a year, uh, rotate the tires, maybe that's about it. So I get it that the first few years aren't much, and that's very similar to EVs, but that can, that continues with EVs throughout their lifespan, where as things get older and wear down faster in an internal combustion uh, vehicle, then your maintenance starts to get much more costly. Okay, last question for you, Ken. Um, it, you know, having you on the show, historically, we always talk about new vehicles, um, what we've driven, what we want to drive. So can't get you, can't have you on the show without asking this question. So tell me, one or two new vehicles that you haven't driven that you can't wait to drive? Well, I'm going to sound like a GM sales uh, person today because <laughs> they're both GM vehicles. But, you know, I'm just super stoked for the Chevrolet Equinox EV or Equinox EV, depending on how you want to call it. Um, it was my choice for the EV of the year for 2023 because of the significance that it, uh, it brings to the market in that it's much more affordable and it's very much more capable than something that would be typically have been at that price point in the past. You know, we're talking 200, uh, sorry, you know, 370 to 400 kilometer ranges with 100 kilowatt plus charging, uh, fast charging capabilities in a in a um, uh, compact to midsize SUV. I guess the Equinox is more of a compact. I, I can never tell what segment is what. Very, very capable and, and GM's launching it, you know, You'll you'll be able to buy the a little higher price uh, options first, but the L1T will come in at just you know thirty five thousand dollar base MSRP in Canada. That's outstanding for that kind of vehicle. So I think that that's going to really significantly enhance the market and and people that are looking at the market. And then you know sticking with GM, the Chevrolet um, Silverado EV again, their take against the, the counter to the Ford F one fifty Lightning. GM and Silverado are kind of the second in the pickup truck realm, Ford F-150 rules. But when you talk about number two and number three in that market, it's typically GM and Dodge. Sometimes Dodge and GM should flip with the Ram. But lately, it's been Silverado. Again, their first full-size pickup truck, all EV, from the ground up on the new Altium platform, will be extremely capable. 
And I'm looking forward to seeing how it actually performs and if it actually gets some some of those board prospects looking at, you know, maybe um, changing their loyalty shift to another brand. Uh, it's a very hungry marketplace, as you know. It's great for fleets and small workforces that rely on pickup trucks uh, to get around. It makes a great value proposition for that and saving money. I think it'll do well, but I'm looking forward to, to getting behind the wheel of that. Yeah, and the good news, I mean, being General Motors, being at a North American domestic product, one would think the inventory for us will be better because we're not going to be competing like the Koreans will be sending their cars globally. So we're competing with the Norways of the world and the Chinas of the world, whereas Equinox and, and the Silverado, while they still will filter into other countries, I think Canadians will have a, a better supply right out of the gate. Absolutely. And they're all going to be built in North America. Um I think, I'm not sure if one or both will be built in Mexico. I think one of them is. So you're absolutely right. Availability will be much stronger in the North American market space, especially for Canadians than it would have been. And you have the vast GM dealer network to support you there as well. And they're, they're, um, they're also tying in some charging elements with chargers to make that charging experience more seamless with their 360 Connect program. A lot of things going on. I will make mention some notable mentions, the, the Blazer EV. Again, I'm on the GM bandwagon, but again, a very well-priced, very capable mid-size SUV product. I think they're doing a great job with that. I think that's going to be well, well-received. And then I'm looking excited. I'll be behind uh, the wheel of a, a Hyundai Ioniq 6 soon to get my first drive and first impressions. I think Hyundai's doing fantastic things with their electrification portfolio. Ioniq 5 EV car of the year. Uh, sorry, uh, utility vehicle of the year in Canada by Ajax, uh, world EV car of the year globally, a lot of accolades. I think the Ionic 6 is going to continue that trend in a really cool um, and funky kind of aero look. Cool and funky, that kind of describes you, Ken. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know how cool I am, but certainly I might think some funky, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks as always for joining us. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Ken Bocor is the Toronto-based host of the EV Revolution show on YouTube. He's also a member of the Automotive Journalists Association of Canada and has established himself as one of the preeminent electric vehicle experts in the country. It's always refreshing to listen to Ken's take on the ever-evolving EV segment. The past few years have really been, at times, a one-step-forward, two-steps-back scenario for electric vehicles in this country. While it is so encouraging to see all the fantastic cutting-edge EVs that automakers are designing and building, as Ken pointed out, that's tempered with issues surrounding dealer inventory and charging infrastructure. The good news is that those are both fixable problems, and once that happens, the true EV revolution will get underway. Will it be in 2023, as Ken predicts? Personally, I think that's a little optimistic. That's it for this episode. Thanks very much to my guest, Ken Bocor, my exceptional producer, Adam Foster, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedinpostmedia.com. For your dose of all things automotive, including up-to-date information on new EVs in Canada, be sure to check out driving.ca, where you'll find the best in breaking news, videos, and reviews. And be sure to subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode and you'll also be able to listen to past episodes. And also check out the other three great driving.ca podcasts, the driving podcast, truck guy, and the recently launched Motormouth podcast. Thanks as always for listening. <laughs>